Uh, I hope you're doing all right. Is everybody okay? Great. Um, well, as you know, it's Advent, and we are properly into it. And uh, I don't know if you've got your Advent calendar yet, or if you have one. Maybe it looks a little bit like this. Can you put my first um, picture up for me? There was a there was a there was a discussion, shall I say, a heated discussion in our house around Advent calendars this week, um, because uh, we we. Because, because of what we sort of believe, we've got this little thing that we, we only really have a certain type of advent calendar. It's not one of these. This is a nice chocolate advent calendar. Maybe you go for one that's a bit posher, but we tend to do something um, a little bit like this, which is uh, what you call a real advent calendar, and it has the proper Christmas story in it. And one of our children said to us this week, oh, not this again. I've heard this story before. <laughs> it never changes. Every advent, the same story never changes. Maybe, maybe, you, uh, maybe if you're not into chocolate, you might like uh, something like this instead. I, I found this on the internet, a Play-Doh advent calendar. Uh, I found a Lego Star Wars advent calendar. So that's probably where some people are at. Um, I think this is, the, uh, this is the Marks and Spencers one. I think they sold out because the Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, said, well, whether you want to do this for advent or not, it's just a really good deal for all these beauty products. So uh, you can get a beauty products advent calendar, uh, you can get even, this is a doggy treats advent calendar. Um, yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah. And this one, you can get a wine advent calendar. Some of you who are into wine, or perhaps you might want something a bit stronger. They've even got a whiskey advent calendar there. So, you know, you can count down to Christmas uh, in that way. I, I Particularly my favourite was a news story I saw, which was called uh, the, little baby, the Little Baby Cheeses. You can now buy a cheese advent calendar. This lady had this great idea to do uh, ad- and cheeses instead of chocolate, counting down to Christmas. Um, everyone's getting in the mood. And I do want to talk about Advent today. I do want to talk about the season of Advent and what that season has meant for Christians down the centuries and what it might mean for us. I want to look at one of the key passages in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus and looks forward to Christmas. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you do have a Bible, you might want to turn that up and I'll come to that in a minute. Um, This is one of the most well-known Christmas songs. Uh, There are a number of versions of it. My favourite one is from Handel's Messiah. You might know that. It goes, for unto us a child is born. And it goes on and on and they go over and over the same words. But um, if you're not, and by the way, if you're not a believer today, if you're not someone who would call yourself a Christian, first of all, you're just very welcome to be here. And maybe you recognise these words because they're kind of words that are banded around at Christmas. And uh, maybe you recognise this passage and hopefully, um, whoever you are, this talk will help you better just explore and understand what this is all about and how it is that this passage, this kind of um, prophecy from the Old Testament, actually from 700 years before the birth of Jesus, how that relates to Christmas and why we start reading it and quoting it uh, when we come to December. The, The term Advent is a version of the Latin word meaning coming. It means coming. The Latin word is adventus, and that's a translation of the Greek word parousia. And the word parousia is used often to refer to the second coming of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. And there was a guy in 1153 called Bernard, Bernard, Bernard or Bernard maybe, of Cl- probably Bernard because he's French, Bernard of Clairvaux. And he said, um, he said this since then. He said, look, when we think of Advent, we think of three different comings of Jesus. 
He said, we think of the coming of Jesus in the flesh in Bethlehem. We think of the coming of Jesus in our hearts every day. And we think of the coming of Jesus in glory at the end of time. So when we, when we enter into coming, this is not just a quick count down the days till present time. There's something much deeper and much more profound going on here. And we are joining with the people of God all the way down the centuries who've longed for the coming of the Messiah. And we're trying to stay alert and we're trying to stay ready as we look forward to who might come back. So we're going to just read from Isaiah in a minute. We'll read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. And uh, just a bit of background to this, Isaiah is one of the key prophets in the Old Testament. His main job, along with all the other prophets, is to call God's people back to the promises that they've already made with God. That's his role. His key message is to remind Israel that they are supposed to reflect God's character by walking in his ways. Now, the truth is, and we don't have time to go into it, but Israel did a pretty bad job of doing that sometimes. God's people did not reflect his character often. They did not walk in his ways. And the history that's coming up, in fact, just a couple of chapters before this chapter, uh, what's going on in Israel is that the current king of the northern king, the northern king of Judah, he's called Ahaz, and he has failed. He's failed miserably in that task of trying to align with God and align with God's align with God's wisdom, align with God's purposes. Instead, he's chosen to align with this, the Assyrians. And, um, and, and to be honest, things have gone pretty badly. And uh, the, these, the two chapters before this chapter, chapter 9, they paint a fairly dark picture. Most of God's people have turned away from him. They're choosing instead to look to occult practices and all sorts of other things to try and get their wisdom and try and get their leadership but there is a small remnant of faithful believers who are looking to God and who are waiting. And Isaiah, as he speaks, his encouragement to them is, hey, it's okay, something's going to happen. Stay patient. Stay waiting. And that's the context as he delivers this incredible word, which I want us to read together from verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. I'll read the whole passage and then we'll come back to it. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered them. The yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning fuel for the fire. For unto us, A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty, will accomplish this. For unto us a child is born. Go back to verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Which people are we talking about? We're, not talking, we're talking about the people who have chosen deliberately not to walk with God. I'm going to mainly focus around ch- uh, verses 
6 and 7. But just in the, in the lead up to that, this isn't... If you think about darkness and light for a minute, okay, um, darkness doesn't come to light. Light comes to darkness. Do you get me? It's light that shines into darkness. It's light that breaks into darkness. This week I was... Uh, <laughs> This week I was out running, which I try and do, and I went quite early in the morning, and it was really, really cold and really, really dark. And I happened to choose a road. If you know Winchester, it's called Wellhouse Lane. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a back road, and I managed to go the wrong way around my run. Normally I go this way around, and by the time I'm running down that road, which has no pavement and no streetlights, it's light. But I sort of I chose, I was thinking, oh, I'll go the other way today, and I hadn't really thought this through. And I'm running down this road and there was no pavement and no streetlights and I didn't have a torch or anything. And I'm sort of trying to run down this thing, trying to f- suss out where I am and what's happening. And every time a car would come past, uh, you know, I'd get a little glimpse of, oh, right, this is where I'm meant to be, you know. Um, it was really dramatic. It's quite, it's quite dramatic, I noticed, because I'm running east. Um, I noticed what a change happened when the sun did come up. You know, and it, I was just reminded of that. It, it's... it's it's light that breaks into darkness. It's light that comes. This, this act of sending a Messiah, which Isaiah is talking about here, this is an act that's initiated by God to save the world. Sending Jesus was an undeserved, unmerited, and surprising, actually, act of God. The light was breaking in. The light is breaking into darkness. He says, this, this world has been dark. You have had a tough time. You guys, things are not going well. And yet it's okay because light is coming into darkness. And those who have walked in darkness will see a great light. He goes on in verse 3 and 4 and 5 actually to describe the effect that this move of God will have. He says, the light is going to break in and it's going to make an enormous difference. Through this incredible action, verse 3, a nation will be enlarged, their joy increased. How is their joy going to be increased? It says in verse 3, they rejoice as the people rejoice at harvest and as the warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. So there are two little pictures here. God says, light is going to come to your darkness Light is going to come to your darkness. I've got a picture for that, by the way. Light is going to come to your darkness, and the result will be fruitfulness and productivity, and there will be joy. There will be rejoicing. Just like the people who gather in the harvest, the rejoicing at the abundance of fruitfulness. And there will also be a rejoicing like that of a military victory. The rejoicing like that of a military campaign who has won their victories and come back. And that picture's developed in verses 4 and 5 that Isaiah is saying, there will be an end to war. He reminds them of what happened at Midian. Well, at Midian, that's when Gideon, Gideon at Midian, has this really improbable victory over the Midianites. He didn't look like he was going to win, and yet he won. And Isaiah's prophesying and saying, remember what happened there? God was able to do that there, and he's going to do something incredible once and for all in the world. God has a plan, Isaiah says, to intervene in this world with something like an enormous light in the darkness. That's the effect it's going to have. It will change everything. 
it will change everything. Now, my analogy of a sunrise obviously doesn't work completely because when you get to sunset, things change. But if you imagine it's dark and then it becomes light, it changes everything. It changes everything. This action of God's will have the effect of fruitfulness and abundance and incredible rejoicing. This is God promising to take on the initiative of fighting evil in the world. This one-off, earth-shattering, life-changing, history-altering event. This is the coming of Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. How is God going to do this? What is this going to look like? He's going to come in some sort of great magisterial king-like procession, right? Not right. There's going to be trumpets and flags and banners and armies and... No? None of that. How is this going to happen? It's going to happen through a baby. And that's when you get to this verse, verse 6, that's the really sort of famous part. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the greatness of his government and peace will be no end. He's going to reign on David's throne. He's going to establish this kingdom, justice and righteousness. I mean, this is an incredible promise. Remember that context. There's darkness, there's rebellion, there's idolatry. There's most of the people of God choosing not to walk with him. And there's a small faithful remnant. And here's Isaiah saying, Into this, God has an incredible rescue plan. Into this world, he is going to do something to completely change it. What is it? It's a baby. A child is born. A child is born. Do you ever stop and think about that? You know, we said earlier that um, in Advent, uh, what we're trying to do is encourage uh, encourage one another to stay focused on Jesus despite all the other stuff that's going around Christmas. One of the ways I found to do that is through um, the, the, the 24-7 uh, prayer movement. They've got these little videos, just a minute long that they put out on Twitter, just to help you reflect in the day. And I just thought I'd show you one of them. Um, it's just a minute long. And it's just, they're, they're basically taking this verse and then they're just sort of talking about it and reflecting on it. Have a, have a little look at this. To us, a child is born. A child. It's so easy for us to become really familiar with these words that we cease to get enthralled by the wonder of it all. God became a baby. Infinity was dwindled down to infancy, stepping out of heaven and putting skin and bone on. But this is the God that we serve, one willing to so identify with us that he would come and share in both our joy and our pain. I don't know what this Advent season looks like for you, but the birth of this child is God's pursuit of you. Jesus is the assurance that whatever we're going through, we have a God in heaven who meets us right in the middle of our broken humanity. Emmanuel, God is with us, God is for us, for unto us a child is born. Just very short, you may want to follow them if you follow them on Twitter or Facebook or look on their website. You can, you can check their, um, you can watch each of those. Um, but it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, and there, there are four names in this verse that Isaiah gives to this child. 
So this, this Messiah is coming as a child. Actually, the names kind of paint, picture, paint a picture of king, of a king. The language, it's hard for us to get our head around this, but the language that he's using is the language of kingship in Israel and in the other countries around him. The Messiah is coming as a child, but it's not an ordinary child. It's a child who's somehow going to be a king. And he uses these four names to describe the character and nature of the child, the, the king that this child will grow up to become. And he uses four different types of titles. Wisdom, the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, an everlasting father, and the prince of peace. And the wonderful counsellor, well, well, the, 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 the translation really suggests wisdom. Another, another version says an extraordinary strategist. The, the, the language here, the suggestion of a, is of a wise military ruler, somebody who you would go to for advice, somebody who knows and has wisdom about how to rule and how to lead. And then the, the term mighty God, well, again, you could refer to that as, you, you know, the, the way that you think about this, it's a bit like a warrior, a warrior king, a warrior king. And the everlasting father, that's not the Trinitarian father as in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the language that they would use to describe a benevolent king who would protect his people. A caring father. And finally, a prince of peace. Somebody who is going to establish a safe and prosperous society for his people. Not by being meek or weak, but actually through military strength. Each of these titles about this Messiah... It suggests a king, not just any king, but a really good king. It's the language of a really good military ruling king, which is something that they would relate to in those days. We know now, of course, that when Jesus did come, he did fulfill all those criteria and he did live up to all those names, although not necessarily in the ways that they might have expected. So knowing this context, well, it's a bit easier to understand how in Jesus' time some people kind of assumed wrongly that he would be this revolutionary military leader, you know? That he would march into Jerusalem with people, you know, and they would take over the Romans and sort them all out and, you know, take control. That's who the disciples, that's who the disciples kind of thought Jesus would be. In fact, Jesus saw his kingship in a much bigger context than that than that province. It was a, his battles were spiritual battles in the heavenly realms, not just battles on earth. And so 700 years later, when Jesus did come to the earth and he did start his preaching and teaching ministry, he did something. He did start something. He declared the kingdom of God. He declared the rule and reign of God. And through his death and resurrection, he won the ultimate victory. You know, we've sung about that this morning. We've sung about what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. We're going to have communion at the end of this morning. And we're going to remember again what Jesus did when he died on the cross. And that was the kind of the start of it. The theologians call it, um, call it the inauguration of the, it, there's a fancy word, inaugurated eschatology. It means the beginning of the end. And in a sense, when Jesus came, what he did was he began the end. He came to announce the kingdom. He came to say, this is the kind of king, this is the kind of rule, this is the kind of reign that God is going to establish on the earth. It's going to be wise, yes, warrior king, but protecting and caring and making peace and establishing a safe place. Crucially, Jesus didn't complete that work. He began it, 
because he called us, his followers, to be part of that incredible story. That's what we're doing now. And so, as I said at the beginning, when we're waiting, one of the things we're waiting for, just like Israel, is we're waiting for the time when Jesus will establish this, this thing forever. We're looking forward to that time. But there's a difference because how we wait is kind of an active waiting. How the people of Israel were waiting was just kind of waiting. They're just, you know, they were just waiting. I don't know if you've ever had a time of waiting in your life where you've just had to wait for something to happen. Maybe it's felt like a desert or a darkness. Maybe, maybe you're in the middle of a time like that right now. Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe God seems very distant. Maybe the things that you think he said just don't seem to be happening. Maybe what you really need is a word from God, like this word Isaiah gives, something to hold on to, something to encourage you, to spur you on when things are getting tough. It's interesting, isn't it, that Isaiah's prophecy here is in the present tense. This is happening now, he says, and yet... It actually didn't happen for 700 years. I imagine that as he's seeing it, he's probably caught up in the heavenly realms and it does feel like it's touch and taste. It's just kind of happening now. But there was a long wait. There's a long time to wait. And sometimes we do just have to wait. We're in the middle of that tension where we're going, I know God said something, but it just seems to be taking a long time to come to pass. You know, we might have to wait days or weeks or months or years. Imagine having to wait and then pass that waiting on down to your next generation and then your next generation, which is what the people of Israel had to do. The point is that living in the tension between what God has said and what we're experiencing, well, can anyone resonate with that? That's where we grow up, isn't it? That is where we grow. You know, I've said this before. I think it probably is one of my lives. Something I've learned in my life is that to hold opposing values in tension with one another and be able to do that is a sign of maturity. Just try looking at, um, I don't know, Facebook at the minute or looking in the media. There's all this chat about what's going on politically. And what I'm seeing is, Honestly, this is my reflection. What I'm seeing is a lot of people who aren't able to hold values in tension retreating to an immature position where they go either to one side or the other and just lob bombs, either verbal bombs or Facebook bombs or whatever it is, over to the other side. Because immaturity is going, I don't understand that point of view and I'm not going to try and understand it. I'm not going to try and hold this in. I'm just going to retreat to this safe place of mind. Whereas maturity is to hold these values in tension and say, do you know what? There might be something to learn here. There's clearly something to learn here. And we have to walk a line in between. Now, that's true politically, but it's also true in the kingdom of God, that there is this now and not yet. And how we grow up is we embrace both. We embrace what God has said, and we fully believe in it. And we embrace what God is doing now. And we say, yes, okay, I'm here. Holding those things in tension is a mark of maturity. See, God is faithful and he will come. He has promised and he will do that. I wonder what words God has said to you. I wonder what words God has said to you. So the names that we're talking about here, well, they're clues. You know, I don't know if you've bought one of Paul's um, Advent candles it's got 
a whole list of the names of Jesus. These are just four of them, but they're really good names. They're really good clues as to what God is up to and who Jesus is. Not only is he the incredible strategist full of wisdom, he's the mighty warrior, he's the benevolent ruler, he's the architect of peace. And the thing is, not only is he that, but that's what he calls us to be too. So here are just a few thoughts on how we can partner with Jesus in his kingdom work, in the things that he's called us to do. You see, I think that he has called us to carry wisdom into our daily lives. You know, Isaiah is describing this wise king. Isaiah says his wisdom doesn't come from himself. It comes from heaven. Later on in Isaiah chapter 11, he talks, again, he prophesies. He says there's going to be, well, he talks about a shoot from the stump of Jesse, but he says the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus embodies wisdom, godly wisdom. The spirit of God rested on him. It filled him with every resource he needed. Wisdom was personified in the way Jesus lived, and it's personified in our lives as we seek to live out his story. You know, our vision as a church is to grow to be more like Jesus so that we can bring hope and life to those who need it. It's another way of saying our vision as a church is to bring light into darkness. We want to rewrite the story of our communities. We want to rewrite the story of our city. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Winchester used to be the capital city of England. From here, a really godly king dispensed godly wisdom and ruled in a way that shaped our whole nation. Winchester is forever bound up in what God is doing in the UK. I'm not just saying that because we're here. I think it's true. What happens here will impact nations. It will impact us. I think Steve's been here waiting 30 years on his keyboard, waiting for God to come and do something. <laughs> he knows something. <laughs> you know, we might have, you know, we might have all the, um, you know, this is the, in the list of the nicest places to live in the UK and, We might have heritage and tourism and beautiful scenery. But to my mind, what we've got here is thousands of people in communities in Winchester and all around who are looking for some kind of godly wisdom in their lives. Who want more to, who know that, you know, they want a way to do life that's just more than just good ideas. They're people who need to know this wonderful counsellor, who need to interact with his body, the church. Paul prays for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We are wisdom carriers. We are glory carriers. We are designed to bring the wisdom of God to the situations that we're in. What does that mean? It means the capacity to unleash creative solutions into the heart of humanity that reshapes society. I didn't write that. Alan Scott wrote that. It's the capacity to unleash creative solutions into the heart of humanity that reshapes society. What is going wrong with our communities? Where are their needs in our communities? Where you live or where you work, what are the problems? Do you think that the wisdom of God, that there's enough wisdom in God to bring solutions to the problem we we live around and in. See, we believe God is in this place to make a difference, to rewrite the story of this place. 
And that one of the things he wants to do is saturate us and our communities with his godly wisdom, with the spirit of God. He's called us to be not just wise, but mighty warriors. You know, in the ancient Near East, kings were often depicted as representatives of their gods. It's the case with the Egyptian pharaohs. It's the case with the Roman emperors. You know, there's that whole thing about Jesus is Lord and how controversial that was at the day because only Caesar was declared as Lord. It's an outrageous claim that Jesus would make that he was God. And yet in Genesis 1.26, it says, God says, I'm going to make man in my image. I'm going to make him in my likeness and I'm going to give him dominion. That's rule over the sea and the birds and the heavens. I've talked about this before in the past. We are God's representatives on earth, mini-gods, and our role is to rule, and it's to create order out of chaos. You know, when Charlotte's fixing bones, she's creating order out of chaos. She's mending stuff that's broken and bringing it back to the way that God wants it to be. And it's the same for all of us, whatever job or role we're doing, that we are called to rule and we are called to bring order out of chaos. We are called to be warriors, to be God's trusted rulers. We are also called to be protectors. You know, the everlasting father, This, as I said, this is a, a figurative use of the word father, not, not a literal use, but the ideal king will care for his subjects and watch over them and protect them. So you could easily use the phrase benevolent father or mother. You know, Psalm 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, is God in his holy dwelling that he sets the lonely in families. And we are called to be fathers and mothers in God's kingdom, just as Jesus was. We're called to exercise love and care for those who we are, who are, we are responsible for. That might apply in your own family. As you get older, maybe you find your role switch and you end up caring for your own father and mother. That might apply in your job. Maybe you're in, in some capacity, you're a boss. You're responsible for others. How do you exercise your responsibility? How do you carry that authority? Do you carry it with a sense of benevolence and protection and care? That's the kind of father, that's the kind of leader that Jesus was, maybe even in the church. You know, we have fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers and mothers right across this church. Maybe that's who you are. Or maybe you're known as somebody who dispenses wisdom, care, advice. Maybe you're, I mean, it's wonderful. We have people all over this community who act in that way. It's just wonderful. God calls us to be father, mother, protector, and lastly, peacemaker. In a world that is absolutely full of conflict, Jesus comes to bring peace and calls us to be peacemakers, prince of peace. He calls us to act in situations so that people feel safe. That's not always easy. Some of the environments we find ourselves in are really challenging. Some people around you may thrive from conflict. You know, I've, 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 my observation is that people are carrying around incredible hurt and pain in their lives. And often they don't have any place to take it. And so what happens is it comes out. And unresolved pain leads to insecurity and impacts everyone's emotions and leads to behaviours that are often destructive, either for this person themselves or for the people around them, or both. And in the middle of that, we, as the people of Jesus, are called to be peacemakers, to reflect the heart and the character of the Prince of Peace, 
to speak peace into people's lives and their situations, not by avoiding issues, not by burying them or pretending they're not there, but by speaking the truth in the most loving and gracious way that we can and bringing peace. I wonder what situations you're in right now where peace is needed. How are you called to speak peace into those kinds of environments? That's the kind of king Jesus was. That's what light in the darkness actually looks like. I'm almost done. And we're going to have communion in a minute. There are some people who, as you're listening to this, I wonder if you're thinking, do you know, that's an incredible kind of leader. I'd never seen Jesus like that before. Maybe Jesus has been portrayed for you as something other than that, something very different. But that's the kind of leader he is. And I, for one, am right up in the front of the queue of people who want to follow him. And maybe, just maybe, as you're listening to this, you're thinking, maybe I should be there too. Maybe I should check that out a bit more. If you've been presented a picture of Jesus that's anything other than that, I'm so sorry. And I would love to talk some more. And we'd love to just help you explore what it is to follow this incredible, wise, godly leader. That's what light in the darkness is. We do have to make a choice, though. All of us have to make a choice. Ephesians 5 says, you were once in darkness, now you're in the light. Live as children of the light. It's a choice we have to make every day. And you've heard us talk about this before. I think Paul's going to come to this in a couple of weeks' time. Just the next one, please. This one, trusted rulers. We've talked about this before, but what basically this boils down to is about people who know our identity, who know the authority that's been given to us, and who are very clear on the assignment that we've been given. If we can do that, then we will be this kind of leader, ruler, king, queen, father, peacemaker, mother, protector. We will be all the things that Jesus is calling us to be. You, you may have seen this picture. Um, this is a campaign that we're running across a number of churches in Winchester. And all we're really trying to do is be unite around a simple Christmas message, the King's Christmas. That Christmas is about the King. And what, a bet, what better time than now to focus on the coming of the King, what, the first time, the now time, and the future time. And roll all that into one and live in the moment and say, okay, Lord, here I am. How do I, what, do, what do I do? How do I live this out? Why don't you stand together and we're going to just, we're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to come to the, the communion table. Can those who are helping with communion come forward and just help us to set that up? That would be great. By the way, if you're visiting today or, you, or this is unfamiliar to you in any way, um, what we do is we celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. And anybody who calls themselves a believer in Jesus is welcome to do this. And practically, what we'll do is we'll take a little bit of the bread and we'll dip it in the juice. And there is a gluten-free option, which will be down here at the front on my left, your right. But as these guys go, I'm just going to pray and lead us in this. This is, this is effectively coming to the light. Choosing to live in the light, choosing to come to Jesus. This, this is what we do when we come to communion. We say, 
Because Jesus instructed his disciples. He said, look, you do this to remember me. You take the bread and you give thanks. He, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body. So it's just bread, but, it look, but it's to remind you of my body. And he broke it and he said, this is, this is me on the cross for you. This is what's going to happen. So when you eat this bread, remember what I did on the cross for you. And then after supper, it says he took the juice or the wine, he says. And he says, and this is my blood. And every time you do this, remember me and remember what I've done for you. And it's just a wonderful point for us to come back to Jesus again, no matter where we are, whether this is for the first time, whether it's for the first time in a long time, or whether it's for the first time today. Every day we have to make a choice to follow Jesus. Every day we have to make a choice to walk in the light. And when we come back to him at communion, this is where he kind of resets things for us and meets with us again. And so in a minute, I'm going to just free you up to go to one of these places and just to take communion for yourself. And the band will come and play. And there will be time for us to do ministry this morning. There will be time to pray. So in the midst of communion, maybe you already know what God is talking to you about. And maybe he's already re- you're already ready to receive. But also, if you'd like, we'd love to pray for you this morning. So why don't you go for it? When you're ready, well, no, in fact, I'll pray and then we'll go for it. Father, thank you for your incredible love for us, shown on the cross, shown through your body and your blood. And thank you, Lord, that that reminds us of the talk of Advent and coming and waiting. And Lord, this whole story of yours is about light shining into darkness and providing a way for us to come back to God. And we're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for the way that you encourage us, that you lead us, that you guide us, that you draw us, that you did this for us. We didn't deserve this. We don't, it's not merited. But Lord, you made a way for us to come back to you. And we are so grateful for that. And we celebrate that and we worship you because of it. So Lord, as we take communion now, whatever is going on in our lives, would you come would you minister to us? Would you help us as we minister to you and remember what you did? Would you come and meet with us? Connect with our hearts on a, a deep level, on a heart-to-heart level. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when you're ready, just go for it to one of these. The gluten-free option is this side here if you need that.
Father, we just want to thank you for your incredible love for us. Lord, as we've remembered and we've just had bread and wine and we've remembered what you've done for us, Lord, there's, there's really no 
words to express our uh, incredible gratitude, the grace and the mercy that you showed to each one of us when you died for us on the cross. Lord, it is our desire to be part of your incredible kingdom story. Lord, because of what you did for me, I want my life to count for something. I want to do everything that you've called me to do. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. Lord, I want to to be clear about the assignment that you've given me, clear about the identity that you've established in me, clear about the authority that I I act in. Just as we close, guys, I want to um, just offer the opportunity to respond to what God is doing and saying. So if you feel like God is on your case, maybe it's, maybe it's that you want to respond to him for the first time. Maybe you just want to come give your life to Jesus. You want to make that choice. We'd love to pray with you about that. We'd love to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you've got something going on. Maybe you're one of those people who is waiting for God to do something and it is just tough. And we know what that's like. And so if that's you and you'd just love to have someone pray with you, encourage you, bless you, then we'd love to do that. Or maybe there's something else that's going on. You know that God is speaking to you this morning. Something is resonating. And you need to respond to what God is saying or doing in any one of those ways. Why don't you just come there? And also, Pete and Julia, let's have some people come and gather around you because we said we would pray for you guys and pray you out. We call that, we call that the right foot of fellowship. <laughs> We're going to kick you out in the right way. (laughs) So why don't some people come and pray for them? But anybody else who wants to, they're about time. If you want to, if you just encounter something God is doing. So if you're coming to pray with Pete and Julia, do that. And if not, just come and stand maybe on this side or on that side. Let's have, um, I would love to have uh, two or three ladies come and pray. Fantastic. One or two fellas too. Just one other word, just, you, it, we talked about light and darkness a lot this morning, and it may be that you just have a sense of darkness, you feel, or you feel you're in a dark place. Again, if that's you and where you're at and you'd love someone to just pray with you, you know, we believe that Jesus is light and brings light into every situation. And so if that's you and you, if, if that resonates with you, we'd love to pray. Now I can see all over the room that God is already doing things and that people are responding to what he's doing. So if you're in that place, bless you. That's fantastic. But if you would love to have someone pray for you or pray with you, just just be aware that we would love to do that. Come and find us at the front. We're here.
It looks like we've degenerated into coffee and things. But if you just want to stay and sit in God's presence, the guys will continue to play for a few minutes. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, we are not here next Sunday morning. There is no service next Sunday morning. Just the evening carol service. Do take a flyer. Do invite a guest to come 7.30 in the evening. We'll make sure that we put that on social media and in our e-press as well to remind you. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.
Together, worthy, all together, one. 